Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, we have a special podcast for the listeners this week. A wonderful conversation with the directors of The Last Out, Michael Gasser and Sammy Khan. You know, the reason that I'm not putting a cold open on top of this is because we're recording this weeks in advance. Weeks in mm-hmm. advance. And the reason for that, it's, it's not just because we decided to be prepared. <laughs> it was, we were kind of backed into this spot. Yes. The reason for that is because as people are listening to this, I'm just gallivanting around Italy. You know, I'm just having a, a great time. But we did not want to allow, we did not want to force the listeners of this wonderful podcast. No. You find folks who give us so much of your time every week. Listen to our dumb takes about everything from Major League Baseball to Taylor Swift. We did not want to let the podcast feed go dark for all of you. So we talked to Sammy Khan and Michael Gassert. Um, The last out, I'll just start by saying, it, it hit hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't know if, if everyone is listening to this, got a chance to check out last week's episode where I reminded folks to watch this documentary before listening to this interview. But if you haven't watched the doc yet, I will just say it would be incredibly informative you, for you to watch the documentary before listening to this interview because we talked a lot about the specifics of how it was made and how they found these subjects and um, how they were able to get this kind of access and how they chose to make it. So it will be a much better experience for you, I think, if you listen to this after you watch the documentary. You can find it wherever you get street, wherever you get your movies. It's available on uh, many streaming platforms. We have the link in the description to the documentary's website where you can find all of that information. Um, but yeah, before we go to our conversation with Michael and Sammy, Alex, you were actually the one that brought this documentary to my attention um i don't know where did you actually i don't never even ask you where did you actually see this documentary um i think i i saw it mentioned in craig calcaterra's wonderful uh cup of coffee newsletter he dropped oh, okay. the trailer um uh earlier this year um and it obviously caught my attention because you know the the conversation surrounding um the international player development system is uh, something that's really central to the economics of baseball. Yeah. Um, and it's also a really sort of thorny issue, um, in part because so much of this stuff happens behind closed doors. And right. so this documentary really caught my eye because it really did seem like it was kind of pulling the curtain back on the journey that a lot of these young players take. And, and you know, this, this story obviously focuses uh, from uh, three players coming from Cuba, but... But players uh, are are fed through this international system throughout Latin America, and it's and it's a perspective that that felt really instructive to me, uh, especially as you know, as you mentioned, we want to we want to discuss this more this off season. Yeah, and so really getting that that humanist perspective, I think, on this uh, was really key, and they executed it really really well. I mean, it's a it's a harrowing story, and it's yeah. really impactful. Um, unnecessary watch for anyone who's who's even remotely interested in 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 baseball or immigration and you know just kind of kind of the way that sports spreads its tentacles far beyond you know kind of what we think of as entertainment i know the thing that 
I think makes the documentary as you described as you as you called it harrowing which is a word that I use in our interview with with Michael and Sammy too is that it takes all of the parts of this system that are for lack of a better phrase put in the nut graph of converse of, of articles about the international free agent system it takes all of those details and it foregrounds them it puts them it puts you, you the viewer in direct conflict with the idea that baseball is not always a force for good is not always baseball and 21st century capitalism and the way that they interact with each other causes this trickle down of harrowing situations and um you know bad behavior from people in the international market and leveraged positions that teams and scouts have over these young men who are trying to capitalize on their opportunity to sign a bonus make it to an affiliated ball give money back to their families in cuba and what what was interesting about this documentary is that it focused specifically on cuban players because of the trade embargo between the united states and cuba and you know the doc starts in the first couple minutes outlining why economically these players have a harder time coming to the united states and playing and signing contracts with uh major league baseball than maybe a country like the Dominican Republic, which has a much more direct pipeline, or Puerto Rico, which is obviously a territory of the United States. So it's incredibly interesting, incredibly detailed. You could keep pulling on these strings forever and ever and ever and keep telling stories like this. But you know, it felt important to me to, before we talk and learn more about like what an international draft might look like or what this means from a labor landscape or what minor league unionization affords United States born players versus international players. Like it's important to actually understand what the current system is doing to individual human beings and how hard it is for people to actually get signed and come play affiliated ball. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the most striking things about the documentary is, is seeing how isolating of an experience this is. Right. And, and obviously when players find success, the teams reap the rewards of that success, right? When players don't find success or a team chooses not to sign them, it's the players that are left to pick up the pieces. Oftentimes they're left in a country they uh, don't live in and yep. they are forced to make some really tough decisions. And you'll see all of that kind of laid out uh, in the documentary. So again, I, I highly recommend uh, anyone watch this who's interested. Um, whether you do or not, I think the conversation that we have with Michael and Sammy is, is really instructive. Yeah, you can tell that they are using some of the same <laughs> worldviews that mm-hmm. we share on this podcast to approach this storytelling and um, to approach their documentary filmmaking. And, you know, we know, like, we talk in nebulous and ambiguous terms about how leveraged the system is towards the teams. But, like, it really is just a win-win for these teams. Like, they could spend, you know, they put a few hundred thousand dollars in on a player and it's a long shot and they turn into Yuli Gurriel and then suddenly you have like a multiple time all-star. But if he doesn't turn into Yuli Gurriel, all you lost was a couple hundred thousand dollars. But for these players, it's like so life or death and so essential to their plan of (laughs) immigrating to the United States, honestly. So, um, you know, people will, if you've watched this documentary, you will have seen how they portrayed that. I think that Sammy and Michael provided a lot of important context and a lot of subtext to what their documentary is just showing. Cause I think it's a, it's a very straight telling of the story. It's very verite and they're hardly in the documentary themselves at all. You can hear them ask a couple questions off screen, but 
it really is just like a very hemmed in close up view of these three players. So uh, now that we've done a, a couple minutes of film criticism, I think we should bring in Michael and Sammy. But before we do that, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Baisley. And you are listening to Timming Pitches. Okay, we are now joined by Michael Gassert and Sammy Khan, the directors of The Last Out. Mike, Sammy, thank you guys so much for joining us. Thanks, Bobby. It's a pleasure to be here. Alex? We're, we're really excited to talk to you guys. Um, you know, to get started, I wanted to ask sort of a procedural question. We talk a lot on this show about you know labor relations. We talk about the minor leagues a lot. But we've talked sort of nebulously about the international system for developing prospects. And of course, I think a lot of mindful baseball fans know some of these things, but maybe don't actively pay attention to some of these things that the last out focuses on. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys, sort of like what was the the moment that you decided that you wanted to go this specifically in on the international system and Cuban baseball players specifically? And how long ago did that moment happen? And how long was it before you were able to actually start shooting and developing this documentary? Yeah. You know, thanks for having us. Bobby and Alex, it's uh, it's great to be with you. It's in, it's important to look at this stuff because you know uh, we have to understand what it takes for something to get to our TV screen, um, and understand what it takes a player, you know, to to get to the major league. So really, for Mike and I, it started with that question. We're both huge baseball fans. He's a Brewers fan. I'm a Blue Jays fan. You know, kind of long suffering to some degree. Um, and, you know, I guess that suffering gives you time to mull over these questions, you know, who is this Lourdes Guriel Jr. that the Blue Jays have set their site, their sights on, you know, actually when we started, it was, it was a Denny Echeverria was the guy that the Jays had signed and everyone was talking about about a decade ago. Um, but then in 2014, you know, Mike and I started talking about, you know, what would a film that looked at the Cuban market, what would it be? How would you tell that story? And to be honest, for a long time, we didn't know how it would, it would take shape. And, you know, we started filming in August, November of 2000. I think it was November of 2014 was our first interview. Um, we, we went up to interview uh, Ben Badler of Baseball America, you know, and you know, one of the foremost experts on Cuban prospects. And for the first few months, we really searched around for what this film would be, what the story would be, and what our angle would be. And as it happened, after sort of months of convincing, uh, we were able to secure an interview with Gustavo Dominguez, um, who is uh, sort of one of the central characters of our film, uh, instigates, initiates the story. And he's a Cuban-American agent who, in the words of Michael Lewis, uh, invented the market for Cuban baseball players in the 1990s. Um, got Rene Arocha a deal with the with the Cardinals, million dollar deal, and then basically every Cuban national team guy went to Gus. So, 2015, early 2015, we got Gus to grant us an interview. At the end of that interview, he told us he had this new group of Cuban ball players that he was representing in Central America. And, oh, would we want to go down there and film with them? And, uh, of course, we jumped at the opportunity. Um, and 
when we went down there, uh, and I'll throw it to Mike now, it's like the, really the story took off in a way that we we couldn't have anticipated. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as Sammy was was uh, describing, with this situation, you know, with Cuba and the United States and this trade embargo that we have, it's different than the Dominican Republic. It's different than players coming from Venezuela. Um, you know, Dominican Republic, for example, where Major League Baseball has million-dollar institutions, every single team there, you know? Um, so, you know, when Sammy came to me and our other partner, John, with this idea about the Cuban situation, we knew that it would open up um, some bigger questions, you know, um, about consumerism, about commodification of athletes, all of those sort of things. So, you know, as he was saying, we were fishing around. It was around the time of the signing of Juan Mancada. Uh, who else did we film a couple of workouts with? Uh, Hector Oliveros. Uh, some of these Cubans signing for huge money. So when Gus invited us down to Costa Rica and we met uh, Carlos Barro, um, Happy, some of the other players that aren't featured in the film, but, you know, uh, uh, Johan Socaras, who else? Uh, Freddy, uh, Freddy Portilla. Um, we knew that something was going to happen with these guys. You know, not only was it just the height of the Cuban market, but they had all taken this incredible risk. And we're in this place, you know, um, having trusted Gus and, and his group of coaches to provide these opportunities for them. You know, there was a contract, there was a understanding. Um, they show up, they perform, there's deals. So um, you can imagine we were like, wow, uh, we didn't have the answer to that question. When I think Carlos, the first time when we met him after the, after the first showcase was like, what is this about? Like, when's it coming out? Who's, who's it about? We're like, we don't really know. But after I think that first get together, we looked at each other. We're like, I think this is our story here about, about these guys. So we came back down and we told him, hey, you know, it's about you. We want, to, we want to follow you when you hopefully, you know, go into the minors and sign and get to change your life. But you don't think about it at the time to say, hey, we also are going to be there when, when you're out on your ass, you know, and you miss your girlfriend and you've got no place to go and your family's worried about you, all of these sort of things. So I think it was just to the dedication to stick with them and, and tell a story through their perspective. I mean, I think we've had a lot of stories through the industry perspective and, mm. you know, even Gus is an interesting character because, you know, he's a person, he has hopes and ambitions and um, in a sense, he is part of the system, but he's also, you know, another cog in the wheel um, who has to, you know, skirt these rules that are in place um, for reasons that don't really benefit anybody, you know, involved in, in uh, you know, trying to play baseball in the U.S. As you mentioned, the, the film really follows the stories of Happy Oliveros, uh, Carlos Gonzalez, and Victor Barro, right? And, and they're all incredibly candid and honest um, as the film goes on about their sort of distaste for the process right and they feel you know uh somewhat spurned they feel uh, lied to like they've been left in this really vulnerable position um 
but it, it, you know, those interviews with Gus are equally revealing, I think. And he's very honest about his role um, in the broader sort of scheme of things. Um, as you mentioned, Michael, he's he is kind of just a cog in this machine that has largely been codified by Major League Baseball itself. So were you... I, all that to say, it's still a very shadowy um, kind of nexus network that that gets these players to the U.S. So, were you surprised at all about um, sort of the honesty that you got from from them talking talking to the trainers around the players? Did that sort of were you taken aback at all by how open people were uh, to talking about this? At the time, I didn't I didn't think I wasn't surprised, but now looking back and like thinking about the film in context, it's like, holy shit. Did Gus <laughs> actually say that? Yeah. You know, it did like, did, did, did VL Long, one of the coaches say that, you know, it was like, so it was, it's only now looking back in hindsight, do, do I like fully appreciate just, you know, how generous everybody was, whether it was the guys or even Gus, even though, you know, he, yeah, the guys get pissed at him, you know, like you allude to, but I don't know, Mike, what do you think? No, absolutely. I mean, um, I think, it, you know, it was a process with everybody, you know, and it's a testament, you know, as Sammy was talking about Gus, uh, to Sammy's diligence and, and just, um, you know, honesty, disarming nature that Gus was willing to talk to us from, from the beginning um, but meeting happy Carlos Zambaro, it's, it's a funny story. The first days on the field and, you know, Gus is excited for them to get used to media folks and, you know, people with cameras and they're pretty rigid in front of the camera. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm Baro, you know, like that's it. And, uh, but early on, I think happy and even a sense Carlos understood what we were doing maybe before we did, you know, in some ways when, when it, we moved from off the field and we're just, you know, first just kind of showing up at their door and then it turned into like, you know, hanging out with them longer and then just staying there and living with them at, at one point, you know, and just going through the motions together. And, and so when something happens, like a player gets dropped or, you know, everything shifts or there's an offer on the table and you're there and you've gone to their house and you've met their parents and you're, you know, with them through thick and thin. I think that's where some of the real truth is revealed behind their, their story and their perspective. And when they watch it and they're like, yeah, that's, that's me. That's what happened. That's what happened with us. And even with Gus, as, as you said, I think part of the, you know, we didn't plan things like this, but part of the nature of having just a small, but like, powerful team is you know i might be in costa rica with the guys like being like hey sammy this is what's going on here and he's actually in la and can hit up gus and you know because he wasn't down there that much in costa rica honestly you know he's in la and taking care of his business and you know he's a businessman dealing with dealing with players Part of what was probably hard for you guys to have perspective on some of the things that these guys were saying was that you were just in the thick of it with them, like this whole time. And some, I mean, it's basically impossible to predict what's going to happen. One scout might love a guy. The scouts might sour on a guy for seemingly no reason. You're not hearing every single back and forth with Gus and, and these scouts and Gus and the teams and what they might be signing for. So, you know, there are kind of three ways that it could go, right? They could go, 
back to Cuba. They could get signed and it could go very smoothly or they could go kind of this third route where they are on buses traveling through all of South and Central America trying to get up to Mexico, to the U.S. border and in extremely harrowing situations. So, you know, from a practical perspective for you guys, how are you, I guess, how are you able or were you expecting to be following them through this kind of harrowing journey? And what kind of preparation went into actually doing that and capturing some of that on film? Mm, I, I think, um, as I alluded to earlier, like from the from the outset, we knew something was going to happen. And around this time, um, it was evident that there was interest. There was serious interest in the guys. And, you know, there's the whole story about the, delay in their papers and did Gus showcase them too early and changes in the market and all this sort of thing. But there were deals that could and and probably should have been made. At the same time, you know, as you're alluding to, you know, uh, Happy's story, um, who I think, you know, we've talked enough about it publicly, um, you know, spoiler alert, uh, when he gets, when he gets dropped essentially and, and how prepared were we, I think, it was a moment when we knew something was going to happen. I don't think we were necessarily surprised uh, that Happy got cut, but it, the manner in which he was, I think, was shocking to us. That you know, I think it's the first time you hear like one of our voices in the film. When I'm like, he, he just gave you a piece of paper. That's it. Like, not even a bus ticket. Not even like, hey, here's here's a good a way to transition into, you know, if you're going to stay here where you have some sort of residency now, here's how you can get a job. If you're going to move on, if you're going to go back to Cuba, I think, you know, as you mentioned, the option of going back to Cuba for, or, or anybody's home country, when they take that incredibly difficult choice to leave their country in hope of greener pastures and better opportunities, um, to just turn around and go back, no matter what stage you're at, I think is really hard. So mm-hmm. um, I think this was, that was unfathomable for any of these guys was when they were in Costa Rica. There's a moment kind of early on uh, in the documentary where Happy is cooking and uh, he's, he's talking with um, a friend of his about sort of the independent nature of this whole journey. And I think he says something along the lines of like, thank God I know how to cook because, you know, what do you do when you're out there alone without your family, um, you know, without that support system? And and in a way, it sort of felt like a kind of a thesis for the project because it's this picture of these young men who have grown up their whole life learning how to do one thing, right? And that's play baseball. And then all of a sudden, they have that safety net ripped away from them. And in the case of a guy like Happy who ultimately gets cut – then that one thing that they're successful at, all of a sudden they can't rely on. So was was there anything that sort of struck you while following them on this really independent journey um, about their resiliency, about, uh, was there anything surprising, I think, that you kind of came across as they went on these journeys doing it alone? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's great that you keyed into that moment. I think that's one thing that we, to be honest, we kind of stumbled into it. We didn't realize that we were kind of making a critique of 21st century capitalism, you know, <laughs> because these guys are coming from, they're not even coming from Havana, you know, Happy, Baro, and Carlos are from the East. They're from 
pretty small towns um, where, you know, Wi-Fi internet access is limited. Yeah, people have Facebook accounts, but the idea of 21st century capitalism and the sort of ruthless machinations of professional sports are are pretty alien. Um, so being, you know, for us to have our Western passports and to be able to travel between these places, Los Angeles, Costa Rica, Cuba, we could see not just the sort of start the start comparison between the places, but how they were treated in each different place. And we were carrying that with us um, because, you know, this is off camera, but one of the most vivid moments and just, you know, the sort of behind the scenes of making this film was this moment where Happy back in Cuba, again, spoiler alert, I guess, <laughs> but is like actually debating uh, the U.S. way of doing things versus the Cuban way of things with his father. And you have this like incredible dialectic on like 21st century economics going on between these two men, but through their, you know, through their kind of non-ideological lens. Yeah, it's informed by the Cuban revolution. Yeah, it's informed by the fact that Happy has been able to make a little bit of a living in the U.S. for himself, but it really is rooted in these characters um, and I think I was surprised by, yes, they're, um, they're savvy um, and their ability to improvise and adapt, um, but also that emotional resilience that you just talked about, that especially in the case of, of Happy, like Mike really formed this incredible bond with Happy in 2015, 2016, really deep brotherhood and I think did a remarkable job of like capturing Happy's journey there and you know his his name really tells you everything you need to know about the guy it's like his yeah. name is Happy and even he is his dad's name Happy but Happy our Happy um he just brings a smile to your face and given what he's overcome it's just really remarkable yeah I mean it <laughs> It's a huge testament to the the relationships that you guys built to be able to capture those moments and for him at some of these lowest points of his life to be able to speak honestly and candidly about about what's happening and verbalize that to somebody. I mean, even human to human, that's very hard. But with a camera in between, I imagine it must have been even harder. Like the scene, I was, t I was texting Alex about this last night as I was watching it, but the scene where he has to sell his baseball equipment is just one of the most crushing things I've ever seen put on screen and the way that you know that sort is sort of like this low point of his arc before he before he is eventually able to continue that journey and get to America I think is a, a real testament to, to the filmmaking and the editing and, and everything that went into it but ultimately to capture that it, it was amazing um, you know to me this film is you know Sammy as you just laid out like you're a film about 21st century capitalism but also a stark rebuke of of this system like that it just doesn't it just doesn't work like it's designed to work. You know, Mike, you mentioned that pretty early on, it seemed like these guys had a really good chance of signing and probably should have been signed, but eventually didn't for kind of unknown, um, you know, like nebulous reasons that are hard to pin down. So I guess my question is, there's a, there's a bit of a storyline in the film about how the market for Cuban players have um, has dried up in the last few years. So can either of you speak a little bit to why that is and and what about the system is changing that is making it harder for these guys 
to get the attention. And whether or not you think that the system can be reformed to make it better for guys like the three guys you focus on these films, or whether it needs to be completely knocked down and rebuilt, whether that's something like an international draft or something else entirely. Yeah, I, I'm sure Stanley has some good ideas about this, but I'll just say off the bat, um, you know, I think there still is an opportunity for for players, for Cuban players to sign. I mean, the system still benefits from from um, eventually recognizing their status. Uh, you know, skirting the the whole embargo and this the political situation. Um, you know, I ran into one of the scouts uh, in the in the film. Uh, recently on the way down to Dominican Republic who just signed an, another Cuban ball player for the Astros for you know nine hundred thousand dollars so that's that's still money that and that's and more than anything that's like a chance to to play so um, an international draft like um, yeah I, I I don't know what can be done with the Cuba situation without uh, basically lifting the embargo and allowing commerce to take place between countries. It doesn't mean that we have to go in and Americanize uh, Cuba, but I know there's a lot of passionate feelings, especially among Cubans, um, about that subject and the embargo and whatnot. But um, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. Sammy, what do you think? Uh, what can Major League Baseball do um, to, to try to you know, uh, change this whole uh, migrant trade that eventually is, is the result of the demand for for these players. The first thing is that major league baseball is a protected monopoly, right? Like these financial, uh, these businesses are protected from competition by Congress. So for them to go around and then insist that they can control the way the labor, um, which their game depends upon, they can control it and limit its uh, value is unacceptable in my opinion. Um, maybe there's like an international draft as some sort of, you know, intermediate step, but I think that's not preferred that baseball players, whether they're Americans, Canadians, Puerto Ricans, Mexicans, Cubans, Japanese players, South Koreans, whatever, they should be able to sell their skills on an open market and decide, you know, who, what's best for me and what's best for my family. Because what's true is that the system as it is, especially as it pertains to Cuban ballplayers, incentivizes really sketchy behavior, some of which you see in the film, but there's a lot more that we've only heard whispers about. Yes, there's an active federal investigation into, you know, what's happened with one particular team that we still don't know what the end game is. There's no indictments. Bert Hernandez was taken down. Even Gus, agent in our film, was taken down. But we need to understand exactly what's gone on the last 10, 20 years with Cuban players, with Dominican players, if we're going to have... if fans, if stakeholders in the game are going to have any informed decision about, you know, the best course moving forward. Um, and, you know, I'm heartened by sort of progress in terms of minor league players, but, you know, there still is a kind of mentality for international players of out of sight, out of mind. It's hard to take like the aspirations of a poor 12 year old Dominican kid 
as seriously as, you know, a 25 year old hundred million dollar player. Um, but I do hope that there's some pressure on major league baseball. Uh, there's some pressure put upon them by either federal prosecutors or Congress to come clean about the corruption that's been in this world for the last decade or so. How did you balance kind of the the human element of this story, these three players that you're focusing on and whose journey you're following with that broader system that they're a part of, right? Because there, there obviously are really shady individuals that are participating in this process or, or, you know, maybe unsavory figures or people who kind of tip their hand a little bit. You know, there's a scout who talks about, hey, you know, do you have any bids on this one player? Um, I know that Gus talks a lot about sort of the quote unquote investments for his company, right? But again, they are situated in a much broader system that's that's designed to exploit these players. I thought it was fascinating when Gus was talking about his um his jail time and he says, you know, I've done we didn't do anything wrong like outside the rules of major league baseball. And I kind of had to stop myself because I'm like he's he's right in a in a sense that major league baseball kind of tacitly allows this sort of thing. So so how did you kind of balance you know, wanting to allude to show the contours of that system versus really drilling down into sort of the humanity of these three players. I think our approach like begins and ends with the humanity, like even with Gus, you know, it's like um, when we're hearing his story initially, we're like, look at this guy who um, I guess, you know, broke these rules uh, of this political system that we have. But what did he really do something wrong by by trying to get these guys out of Cuba, trying to give them a chance to sign? You know, uh, maybe this is his redemption story, you know, where where he's got this new group of players and he's trying to rebuild his reputation. And that's sort of how we came down to Costa Rica, you know, the mentality we had the first time. But, you know, when we got to know the guys, our, our heroes in the film, Happy Carlos Barro, and get close to their humanity. You know, you see them initially and meet them as baseball players, you know, through through the system itself in a way, you know. As a as a documentarian, every time that you focus a lens on, on a participant, you are part of that reality, changing that reality in a sense. So we're down there. We're we're like media. We're hey, we you know, hey guys, get used to the camera. But afterwards we get to know them and 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 we develop a personal relationship that, you know, extends throughout our lives, really, at this point. Um, and when, when there's tough choices to, to make and when things happen in the film, like, you know, happy getting cut, there's, there's a, a choice that we have to make as well as filmmakers. You know, do we stay here in Costa Rica through Gus, you know, how we began this story and his perspective and, you know, rebuilding his academy or... Do we stick with these guys and 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 just really show the depth of their sacrifice and and struggle? And so, um, we hope that by staying with them and showing their their reality as 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 much as you can, you know, um, understanding that there are, there are bigger issues behind the system that they are participating in that we're all participating in, um, but that those questions can be raised through a true representation of what they're going through. And the answers can be found within, 
you know, audience members and people who ask themselves the tough questions, you know, the ones that we're asking right now. So I think that's how, you know, I'm, what do you think, Sammy? I mean, we always sort of took that approach of, of a participant first, even when it comes to Gus. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It was also kind of trial and error, you know, because we, you know, <laughs> we didn't realize how much we were biting off to chew at the very beginning. And there are countless threads that we 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 had to drop because they didn't fit into that rubric that Mike was just outlining. And you know, as the months sort of turned into years making this, we would, you know, we have like our kind of you know, Charlie and it's always sunny board up. Right. And we're like, got all these like crazy leads. I was like, how are we going to tell this, tell this story? And it's like, okay, this, this loose end here, even as it connected to our core story in Costa Rica, like some of those other guys that Mike mentioned, it's, it was heartbreaking to cut them out of the film. So yeah. how are, how are we going to work in this Miami lawyer, you know, who like represented Leonis Martin into the film, like Leonis, Leonis Martin story into it. We can't, it's like, we're cutting Freddie out of the film. It's like, he's giving me shit for that. It's like, we're not going to be, able to, we're not going to be able to work this guy into it. And, uh, you know, but I, it, it also made us aware of the sort of limitations in um, the coverage of this world too. Um, it's like, everything it was like exploding right the sort of like the drive to cover like the hottest prospect and now you know in a week or two when the world series is done it'll shift back into that where it's like oh who's going to get posted from japan who's like the july 2nd stud that the yankees are going to sign but it's like well what how does the system work you know it's like media gets more and more consolidated and cnn is like dropping doing long form third-party documentaries it's like who is gonna how are we gonna understand how the world works because yeah it may be cuban baseball players in our film but mike and i are of the opinion that actually understanding how the market treats cuban baseball players can inform not just how we're treated as sort of like filmmakers in america but as like Starbucks workers as as truck drivers. It's like the system, there's similarities of how the system treats all of us. So let's, let's understand how these machinations work. Um, so we can, you know, at least make, whether it's electoral legislative, you know, financial decisions from an informed point of view and stop buying into the sort of BS that, honestly, like billionaire owners are feeding us. Yeah. Well, you know, something that's fascinating that maybe was one of those threads that you guys didn't even have time to pull on or that didn't quite necessarily fit directly into these guys' story. But, you know, at the same time that baseball in America, baseball in the United States, collegiate baseball, high school baseball, perfect game, these sort of things are um, commodifying like the analytics, analytic revolution that's happening in baseball. Some of these clubs are still making decisions based on like five scouts down in South America with a radar gun sitting on their lap and a couple guys with a, with a stopwatch. And the fact that I, I, on one hand, Major League Baseball, for the most part, these individual clubs are allowing the technological revolution to continue to inform their decisions in the United States. They're 
Also, just turning a blind eye to the fact that they don't have any of that information on any of these players. Like, how how could they possibly make an informed decision about whether they want to sign Carlos or Barrow, for example, when they have the spin rate on a thousand prospects in the United States that they can make a more informed decision? A, a club like Houston is never going to choose a guy that they don't know as much information about because it's just a, a much bigger risk for them. And so, at the same time that, you know, all of these investments in analytics and all of these technological advancements have allowed these clubs to make more optimized decisions, so to speak. This this system of international prospects is being left even further behind. And I'm sure that that occurred to you guys while, while creating the film. But for me watching, I, I just couldn't help but think about that when these clubs make all of their decisions based on super, super advanced mathematical numbers that they're just never going to have for these guys. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's it still continues to surprise us. And you know, again, the scout that I mentioned said something about you know, oh, those guys, yeah, they're represented by Dominguez, and rolled his eyes a little bit, and he's like, well, I, I never really minded coming down there to Costa Rica, but you know, it it was off of the beaten path for the regular, you know, rounds that these guys make. But you know. What what you bring up uh, reminds me a little bit of the recent discussion we have about this idea of of meritocracy. You know, like is there what is the system? You know, how how are how do players you know get a fair look? How do they get a fair shake? How do they understand what's expected of them? You know, you see it in the film with our players where there were you know promises made. There were expectations that were pretty clear for. You know, these players coming, uh, performing, uh, you know, following the coach's advice and, 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 um, and the program that they designed for them. But, you know, you ask them now and some of the discussions with these guys as they're, you know, we're, we're hosting some conversations for them. You know, there's still questions about, about all of that, about, you know, was, was the the side of Gus and and the coaches was their end of the bargain held up, you know, and how much did that factor into, you know, you you talk about how how things are measured and and this sort of contract that you have and a system of evaluating players and and I think, you know, back to a little bit of the question of of how do we sort of navigate some of these bigger um, ideas and you know one of those scenes is is that first. Um, showcase where we are really showing these guys as bodies, as these things that are bought and sold. You know, it it definitely you know calls back to to the slave trade and the history of the connection to sports. Um, so, you know, this this is a system where we benefit from a spectacle where there are human beings behind it. You know, and um, I think when it comes to Earning, earning one's place, you know, um, these guys still have questions about it, even as recently as, you know, our last discussions. Carlos is like, did, did, I, did I have a chance? You know, was I there? Um, one final question for you guys. Were there any other documentaries that you specifically took as inspiration before making this film? Any, any um, docs that you were watching while cutting it together, while creating it, or any just from your careers and lives as filmmakers and, and documentary fans, I imagine that specifically inspired the sort of verite style that you told it in. Yeah. I mean, obviously like hoop dreams looms large. I think that was like, you know, 
we were young when that movie came out, but, uh, you know, Mike's uh, dad went to Marquette. Um, so that film was like pretty big deal for him. And me, I was like a huge basketball fan as well when I was a kid. So it kind of blew our, uh, blew our minds seeing that movie as kids and just like, you know, yeah, it's a basketball movie, but it's about so much more than that. Um, Hoop Dreams was, you know, is obviously the the temple. I don't know if we really anticipated that we would be getting into the kind of longitudinal long-term storytelling that Steve James did in that, but we we did. Like the movie shot over, I don't know, four or five years. Um, and you know, I wasn't married, uh time, I have kids. Uh, and you know, Carlos has a kid, Mike is getting married now. Happy's, you know, been through a couple of relationships. Um, and uh, so it really, that kind of, as our lo- as our North Star kind of saw us through stuff. And then, um, uh, yeah, there was, there was another movie like Pelotero, obviously, but D- the Dominican world that uh, had just come out when we started like a year or two before. So that was helpful. Um, it was made by a good friend of Mike's too. So uh, edited by a good friend of Mike's, I should say. Sammy Khan, Michael Gassert, directors of The Last Out, thank you both so much for, for joining us for this conversation. I think we learned a lot, um, and we really want to uh, encourage all of our listeners to go out um, and watch this film. It's, it's required viewing for anyone who's interested in baseball and the labor dynamics within it. Um, it's out now on uh, select streaming platforms and you can find uh, more information about that in the description guys thank you so much thank you guys it's a pleasure thanks bobby thanks i kiss the floor one kick no more the big and hoes have set me free all right thank you to sammy thank you to michael thanks everybody for listening i hope that if you are one of the people who hasn't watched the documentary yet, but you listen to that conversation, this will inspire you to go watch it. Um, we intend to use this as sort of a jumping off point for some of the other international focused episodes that we want to do this off season. Um, having some conversations about the ongoing lawsuit against the Los Angeles angels about their practices in the international market, the concept of an international draft, how this is something that will need to be eventually ironed out in collective bargaining. Like we want to talk about all this stuff, but you know, for me, this felt like a good entry point to it. Um, always remembering that there are actually real people that are trying to make it through all of these systems. Absolutely. I mean, this, the the, the documentary, I mean, we've waxed poetic at length about it, you know. Um, yeah. But uh, I think it does a really good job of kind of breaking down what can feel like very um, foreign, sort of alien concepts that, you know, take place in another part of the world until we're not really forced to confront them. Um, and by by putting it right there in front of you for for everyone to see. I think it really does sort of shift the way that at least I think about the the international baseball market. Um it seems pretty bad. Yeah, I think things the are not great seems there. It's messed up mm-hmm. and bad and uh a lot of people seem just frankly way too complacent about that. Yeah, maybe someone should uh do something about that. <laughs> I don't know who has the power to do that. Uh yeah, I don't know, maybe uh maybe the owners potentially, maybe the commissioner, I don't I don't know who's let this fester, but it's now an international, frankly, governmental issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you to the new patrons. 
uh, I didn't name you because once again, we are recording this in the past, so I don't know who you are yet, but I still love you just the same. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll be back next week with an episode recorded in a more timely manner. But until then, check out our new merch. Sign up for the Patreon, patreon.com slash tipping pitches. And we'll talk to you soon. I told my mind on a jagged sky. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya.